Hello, this is Dr. Eric Holzapple, author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Profit with Presence, The 12 Pillars of Mindful Leadership. Over the past four decades, I have mixed being a successful developer and entrepreneur, teaching business at Colorado State University, and practicing mindfulness. I've learned that mindfulness has the power to transform our lives and our businesses. These two worlds, generating profit and operating with deep presence, aren't at odds with each other. In fact, when we merge business with mindfulness, what we see is more profit, more focus, more productivity, and much more satisfaction. Join me along with my collaborator, Kristen Maneri, on this podcast series about how to use the 12 pillars of mindful leadership to create more profit with presence. Let's get started. Eric, hello. I am so excited to be doing these six episodes with you on your awesome book, Profit with Presence, The 12 Pillars of Mindful Leadership. Well, let's get it done, Kristen. I'm excited too. That's, this is a, a really important conversation. The first thing that I'm really curious about when we talk about presence in any areas of our lives, but I think specifically when it comes to our professional life, is what's possible? What is actually possible when we bring more presence to our work? I think it's possible to not look look at it like it's, you know, work is just another thing to do, you know, that I have to go to work so then I have a life later on. There's a lot of, a lot of words for mindfulness in that one, but when you boil it right down, it's focus. And so it's possible to shorten our work days with more focus, possible to get more done with less time. It's possible to form real relationships at work, not just meaningless associations that we're just trying to, you know, get, get something from somebody, get something done. I think bringing presence to work makes, just expands your life, you know, where you're, where you're alert and happy. You can be happy with what you do with presence. It's my experience for myself and so many others. There's a, it's, it's a lot possible. I mean, you can just start, I, I love work. No, I love to work. That's why I'm doing this. It's possible to love what you do. And um, it's a short life. I mean, why not? Yeah, when I expand kind of the aperture of that, I think of like clarity at work, you know, clarity in the decisions that I make. I think about um, confidence, right? You know, when I'm really present to my way of being and how I'm being with people and even where I'm nervous and anxious, like even just bringing presence to that and, and leaning into it and surrendering to that has me show up differently when I'm working. And that all is, it's all rooted in presence. Well, I have, you know, some people I talk to about this go, you know, well, no, mindfulness, that's woo-woo, too soft, too time-consuming work. And I say, no, mindfulness or presence is focus. Woo-woo's, you know, divided, distracted, unable to make key decisions. I mean, that's the state of the world. Yeah. Presence means, no, I'm focused. I'm making a difference. I, I'm intentional with everything I do. I, you know, when, and with intention and with focus and clarity, man, you just waste so much less time and get so much more done and you make sure it's meaningful work. It's not, I mean, as a society, we have busy down, you know, we're all busy. So it's got to be another level, you know, and I, I, I have found that presence brings that level think are some of the things that we experience 
when we lack presence in our work. So uh, really, describe to me the average workplace is really what I'm asking. <laughs> Living in the gap, uh, our, our nonprofit describes the gap in between thoughts, where one stop thought stops and another starts. And there's other gaps, but that, that's a primary gap. And I just find that peace, joy, happiness, presence live in the gaps. Stress, anxiety, nervousness, all those things live in thought. And so many of our problems in life is what we think about something rather than what something actually is. I mean, and with presence, you start looking at things and saying, okay, that's what is. That's, that's what's going on. Can I change it? Okay. I take action. I change it. If I can't change it, accept it. That brings clarity to it. We worry so much about things like the weather or just things we can't control that those are just part of life. That's nature. If we accept those and then we just start learning what things can I make some, make some difference in or do something with or accept the rest. I just think it brings a calmness and a clarity to your whole life. Yeah. What I hear you saying is without presence, we're not actually in our lives. No. We're just sort of thinking about them. We're in our heads. You know, Ken Ram, I love what Ken Ram said. My body's just with something carrying my head from meeting to meeting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so without it, yeah, we're just, we're just, you know, like a, like a washing machine, just another machine, you know, but with presence and consciousness, you know, humans can make a real difference for themselves and others. What is the business case though for, for presence and mindfulness? Like when you meet other business leaders like yourself, they want to know what's the ROI of this. Why would I even care? Yeah. Well, I mean, Aetna did a study, 13,000 employees. They found there was, uh, for line employees, $2,000 a year savings in healthcare costs and $3,000 increase in productivity. I work more, more, mostly with high income people, and, and the, the results that I've seen are much more than that, you know, for productivity. But the, I mean, just if if you boil it down to focus, and the business case for I mean, business is focus. It business is all about focusing on what we do, making and figuring out what works, and stopping doing what doesn't work, and turning and you know making it into something that works. And so focus is all about business, and and so I think the business case also is less stress, better health. All those things is, and, and if you believe that business is just turning a profit, I believe it's bigger than that. I believe business is, is also there to make, you know, the community better if they can. Obviously you have to make a profit or you can't, you won't stay in business, but you also have the option of, you know, improving things of your employees' lives, improving the community, all those things. I think that's long-term business success rather than just a short-term profit. I think you can do both. Well, and would you even go far to say that that profit increases with presence? And have you experienced that in your own business, in your own professional life? I have with less time, more focus, less waste. Also, much easier to make a decision to let something go or division, something like that, you know, making, making clear decisions about that. Uh, absolutely. I've experienced that. And I would also say, even if, even if it wasn't, it was a little less, 
and I thought I was making a difference and I was having less stress and I was had employees that were, were healthier and the community was better and I wasn't, you know, uh, I was helping things versus hurting things. I'd, I'd rather make a little less money because, you know, but I have to make enough. I, I get that. I'm not at the crossroads of saying, you know, let's go dot up mindfulness and throw capitalism out. I don't, I mean, I love capitalism. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. So. You have a phrase in your book that when I read it, was just like underline and circle and it's called spiritual cross training. And that's a big part of what you're talking about here. Will you describe that and kind of define that? Well, and I'll describe a little where it comes from. Where I came up with it is, you know, I, I came at this, I read a lot of the Eastern texts and I was stuck for a long time just in that it was talking about having to renounce all my possessions and go sit on a hill somewhere and, you know, you know, from my next level of whatever I was getting. And I was stuck there mostly because I wasn't willing to do that. And also I found that most of my friends, and I, I'm not a Buddhist, most of my friends are, are Christians, and I've noticed a lot of people have resistance. I mean, most of the meditation practices come out of the Eastern traditions. You know, mindfulness, most of it comes out of there. And I've just found some resistance to some that say, oh, geez, I'm not, don't get out my religion. And there's nothing in meditation that's about religion. I just find whatever, I say spiritual cross-training, because whatever it takes to have me be more present. I've also found that people that do these practices often get deeper into their faith. I've seen Christians just start going to church that hadn't gone. They rekindles the spirituality. And they say, oh, that's where I can plug in. I get it again. I'm going. So spiritual cross-training is, it also means, you know, the teachings aren't, the teachings aren't, and then tools aren't the goals. It's presence that's the goal. Whatever it takes to have you be more present, more awake, more alive in your life, then let them go. They don't mean anything. Then the book, Prophet with Presence, doesn't mean anything in its own right, unless it makes a difference for you. Yeah, what I took away from it as well is seeing multiple arenas of my life as opportunities to expand my presence. So, for example, yes, I can dedicate 20 minutes in the morning and I can sit there and I can do my quote-unquote meditation. But when I was reading your book, I started to see how I could actually bring that real deliberate presence, which is what we're doing with meditation, to every part of my life. I, you know, while I'm watering my garden, while I'm going for a run, while I'm driving the car, that it doesn't, I don't have to have these, in, these quote unquote meditation moments that part of spiritual cross training is seeing like, oh, wow, I can infuse that level of sacredness and presence into everything that I'm doing. Love that. And, you uh, know, furthermore, I mean, we don't really meditate for the meditation that period of time. We meditate so that it filters through the rest of our life. So when we're feeling stress, all of a sudden I just feel myself in my body and breathing, that I can respond rather than react. I mean, I'm training myself. Those periods in time are training yourself, like when you're training a horse or training a dog or training for, you know, the sport or whatever. It's not the training time. It's so that when you get into game time in our life, we have those tools. And we have a deep, you know, a deep tool bag and a bigger perspective. We had a conversation recently about some of the graduates 
that had just recently finished your mm-hmm. mindful leadership program and we didn't have a chance to get too into it but i was so curious about what is possible for like what do leaders gain when they deliberately train in presence in mindfulness in focus as you say and like sort of speaking generically but also like specifically because you've worked with these leaders for months yeah. at a time and they tell you oh my gosh this is what i got from it so what do they say you know i think the biggest thing people get Harvard just completed a study a 70 year long study 700 participants and found the number one ingredient to happiness was long-term relationships I think they really get the difference between superficial introductions and really connecting with another human being, whether that be it, and and really seeing the people at work as people, just like we are, that have real concerns, real, you know, real things going on in their life and, and deserving of anything that any of us are, and with their families, deeper connection. And it's not like, in my experience, that you, you're connected in one element and then you turn it off on the other. Typically, if you're disconnected, you're walking around disconnected. And you may have skills that you know allow you to succeed in society and in business and all those other things. But to really, it just really enriches their experience of being alive. And, and a lot of what we want is connection with other human beings. And that's not like anti-business. I have found through being uh, given COVID five major, including COVID, five major downturns. Relationships have been the number one thing that has gotten me through every single one. You know, relationships, people don't return your call when it's not going well if you don't know them, if you don't have a relationship. You just don't get that. You know, they just sit there. But, And I'm not talking about using relationships. I'm talking about you know, legitimate people, they get calls because they like you and you like them and they trust you. They know you like you and trust you. And you get calls back and things just happen, you know, through that, that really help in business. They're just tremendous uh, attributes. And you can really view people that you work with as extended family. Now, a lot of people are worried about that. Say, I may have to relay them off someday. I don't want to get too close. And I say, well, I can still do that. I'm sorry. I I mean, I'll do it compassionately, but it's still business. I mean, the business has to run. So I, I don't find that to be, I mean, I think that's a cop-out. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up because that was the thing that I was really getting curious about as you spoke is that, yes, I can see the value in having authentic relationships with people. Like I see that all the time in companies that I interact with that have a really great culture. Like there's just an there's an authenticity, there's a genuineness, there's a there's a real care for each other that 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 spills over into how they interact with their customers and with their clients. And I so I can definitely see the business case for bringing more presence to your relationships specifically at work. Mm-hmm. But I can also I can also hear this kind of pushback of like but 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 the closer I get to these people, the harder it is for me to make decisions. The harder it is it will be for me to make hard decisions, especially that would affect their livelihood. Can you just share just a little bit more about that, about how we shouldn't be afraid of the tough decisions while, you know, why we should still lean in? I, I would say I would, I'll take it to the personal level first and then come back to it is I was told not to be friends with my kids. I'm sure glad I didn't listen to that one. 
you know, I can still discipline my child and, and put them in time out and, you know, make sure that they don't watch too much TV and those kind of things and, and still have a friendship with them, a genuine caring and a friendship and still pull down the rules and at work too. I mean, in the other part of it is just, you know, take mindfulness lets you take the emotion out of it and realize that it's not necessarily an emotional decision that I'll, I'll feel bad because I have to let somebody go. I'll feel bad. I still would be able to do it. That's leadership. I still would be able to, to say this is, you know, just got to happen. And I'm sorry. And, you know, here's some severance or whatever it is, but it's got to happen. So, I mean, you, you, I don't kind of go through my whole life worrying what's going to happen, you know, that I might have to make this decision sometime. I would rather enjoy my day, enjoy presence, enjoy the people, be real, do those kind of things. And if I have to take a tough decision, that's what's, that's called leadership. You know, step into it. And if somebody is upset about that, that's okay. I, I do what I have to do. Um, it's the same thing like with compassion, right? Business, I, compassion was a very difficult skill to develop for me. And so many business people say, that's just enabling and weak. You're just going to make people, you know, weak. I don't think you have to solve every issue by being compassionate. This means you're aware of it. You care. And you do what you can. But it doesn't mean you're gonna, you have to go out and, you know, solve every single issue. Compassion is natural outpouring of being conscious. Makes, because you're connected with people makes you compassionate. Most people that are not compassionate are not connected, in my experience. Yeah, it's really interesting because the book, Profit with Presence, The Twelve Pillars of Mindful Leadership, is it, it doesn't shy away from the idea that our work requires leadership. It requires us to make decisions, to show up in a certain way, to have vision, to guide people, to gather people, to rally the troops, all those things. But what we're talking about here and what we're going to be talking about in this miniseries is, is mindful leadership through presence and, and how that sort of mode of travel changes the results that you get just by the way that you mm -hmm. show up to the people that you are there to collaborate with and to work with. Yeah, it's not called weak leadership. <laughs> you know, it's just mindful. Yeah. Being, being aware of what we're doing and all the, all the, uh, outcomes, you know, that might happen from our actions, being responsible for them, but it, it, and it means taking action, mm -hmm. you know, not, not taking action and not, and it also means not being afraid to be in relationship with somebody, you know, to actually care about them. It's, it's genuine. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's also at the core of who we are as human beings. Like it's how we were designed. It's in our infrastructure, you know, like there's really no, I mean, we've actually, we could, we could bypass it, but we know the results of that aren't, aren't good for us. It's, it's our most authentic way of being is to connect with each other. You know, it's a difference in being transactional and being relational. Sure. We still have to do some transactional things, you know, sure. Um, and those require less presence than relational things. But relational activities are where we get the big rewards. You know, that that's where we get rewards of happiness and peace and joy, 
from those kind of things. I mean, anybody can think of this huge success. Maybe they had some time and they were all by themselves. They're going, oh, God, that was empty. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. I love this conversation. Well, we're going to be here for six episodes in total, which is awesome. But before we close out for today, I wanted to just ask you, like, what's your hope for this miniseries? Or what's what another, said another way, like, what's your intention for our time together? You know, my intention is to change the business conversation, uh, you know, to make it more impactful and to have business, business people really to recognize how much power they really have. A business moves the world. And it would be so much more powerful if more women move in the world mindfully, you know, in a good direction that was that was enriching to society. And, I'm, and a lot of people are, and I'm not saying they're not, but even just to have that mindset and that intention, I think it just change your life. And, and employees want to work for people that are making a difference. You know, they do. They want to feel like they're, and they want to feel like they're, being treated right and being treated fairly and, you know, all those things. And that's part of it. I love it. Well, next episode, we're going to be talking about presence and also we're going to be talking about purpose. So I will see you there. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Profit with Presence podcast miniseries. For more details about tools or links we may have discussed in this episode, and to learn more about Eric's Mindful Leadership Program, visit www.livinginthegap.org. Bye for now.